Tonight, some advice. Don't check your 401k and also don't run for the hills. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. It has been a tough start to the year as far as the market, Steve. And as we want to dig into this and kind of make sense of things, we'll bring in our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, guiding billions of dollars in the markets from here in Cincinnati. So, Andy, we know you're keeping a close eye on these things. I think it's safe to say that some investors are feeling a little jittery right now. Well, it's understandable. I mean, we've gotten off to a a pretty rough start to the year with three straight weekly declines uh, on your large cap stocks. And then if we look at what's going on today, it's another rough day as we start the week. Hey, Andy, tech stocks have absolutely gotten blasted so far this year. Why why are they down so much more than, than most market indexes? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of the primary ones is valuations. The valuations for these technology stocks, they're a little bit more expensive. In other words, you're paying more for $1 of earnings on tech stocks than you will on some other stocks. So those are your PE ratios or price to earnings ratio. So there's that aspect of it. Another factor is that they don't pay dividends typically as much, or at least at a much lower rate if they do pay them at all. And companies that pay a lower dividend, uh, they're going to be more sensitive to an increase in interest rates. So as interest rates rose, companies that pay little dividends, they get more adversely affected. So so is it safe to say they went up more before the, the fall off and that's why they went down more? Yeah, that's a very uh, good way to put it. Yeah. Because I mean, when the market was rising and interest rates were dropping, they did better. Andy, a lot of, well, and I know that our 401ks, right, look very closely at earnings season and how big companies are doing. We are in the middle of earnings season right now. Um, what's your sense of how a lot of these companies are coming in, right? I mean, is there a reason to be worried from the standpoint of kind of how large American corporations are reporting right now? Right now, no. I mean, if you look at earnings, they're up about 22% for the fourth quarter. Now, it's early in the earnings season. But if we look at the fourth quarter of 2021 compared to the fourth quarter of 2020, they're up about 22%. And that's a little bit better than what Wall Street was expecting at the start of earnings season, which was a 20% growth rate. So far, so good. It's going to be a busy week this week, Amy, though. We're, we're going to see just some heavyweight reporting profits. You have Apple. You have Microsoft. You know, Verizon, General Electric, IBM, AT&T, Tesla, Intel. I mean, the list is long with some really big companies. So after this week is finished, we'll have a better idea of how the earnings season is progressing. But so far, so good. And that's all rearview mirror. Now what we're concerned about and what we're looking at is what happens in the future with earnings. Well, I, I think the big question most investors have is, okay, but we're down already quite a bit. And, and, and I know... Over the past year and a half or so, we've been pretty spoiled. It, it's been a pretty steady increase. And we in, forgot in, what this feels like, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, when's the last time you looked at your statement and the bottom line was lower than the top line? Yeah, it's been it, a long know? time. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think investors just in, in, in general would love to know how bad is this? How much is the market going to go down? Um, and are we going to go into a recession? How would you answer that? Well, I would say eventually, yes, we will go to a recession, but when? That's uh, anybody's guess. I mean, recessions happen. They are normal. Market volatility, while painful, while it happens, is also normal. I mean, if you look back to 1980, the average drop during a calendar year, Steve, has been 14%. So if we just look at all the calendar years and see the 
drop from high to low, 14% average. We're not used to it. I mean, the biggest drop last year was 5%. 2020, obviously, we had that February 20th to March 23rd, where we lost a little more than 30%. Uh, you know, that you know felt really bad, but you know, we recovered from that. When we have these uh, this, these moments of volatility and, and market turbulence, the thing we need to remember is to really, like we're all saying, is you know, focus on the long run because every single time, you know, we have recovered from this. Is this the beginning of some sort of correction or bear market? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a correction. The S&P 500, which is your index of your largest 500 stocks during the day today it did fall 10 percent from its high level uh which was on january 3rd by the way so 10 percent this is a common definition of a recession or i'm, I'm sorry of a correction excuse me and but important difference yes. important Big difference Make slight, that slight difference yeah yes. <laughs> uh, so you know we we did fall into correction territory in the s p 500 but like we said those are normal. Five, fifteen percent drops—they're pretty normal. The bigger drops do usually coincide with recessions. And when we look at the risk out there right now, the risk is currently low. Uh, when we look at recession risk, I mean it's not non-zero, but it is low at this point in time, at least. Let's dig into that, Andy, because uh, this is something that you look at on a daily, weekly basis, right? A number of sort of economic indicators that if, if you look at them as like pu puzzle pieces put together, they put together a pretty good picture of which direction the economy is heading. And you're saying when you what you look at right now um, isn't pointing to a recession around the corner. You don't have a crystal ball. Certainly anything can happen. But from what you can see, the sky is not falling. That's what the data shows right now. I mean, we look at some housing leading indicators. We got updates last week on building permits and housing starts. You know, they're coming in strong. They continue to show expansion there. The job market, I look at weekly jobless claims. It's continuing to show low to no recession risk. Investor sentiment, consumer sentiment, CEO, chief executive sentiment. It's also pointing toward expansion. Interest rates. Uh, while they've been you know volatile here lately they still point to expansion the one area where there is some concern when we look at these leading economic indicators and just as a definition a leading economic indicator is a data point that moves before the broad economy moves uh, the one that i'm watching uh closely is uh jobs in terms of the unemployment rate specifically and inflation so what we're seeing is we're seeing inflation rise while the unemployment rate falls typically that's the recipe for the federal reserve it's our nation's central bank to raise interest rates and the federal reserve does have a history of hiking us into a recession when they get too aggressive not coincidentally we do have a federal reserve meeting this week you're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. You know, Andy, you mentioned the Federal Reserve and kind of their history of hiking into a recession. I think the Fed, especially Fed Chair Powell, has tried to be incredibly transparent, right, about what's happening, hoping that markets are maybe anticipating next moves. Um, you've, you've been in the past somewhat critical of, of Powell. Give me your grade. How is, how is he doing right now? How is the Fed doing in handling the current economic situation? I think the Fed's in a really tough spot here right, right now. I wouldn't yeah. want that job. This is probably the trickiest spot the Fed has been in in quite a few years. I mean, yeah. they did very well, in my opinion, in, in 2020 handling the crisis. But that's kind of easy. Yeah, cut rates at zero by lots of bonds. They did that fine. They implemented some other policies to make the markets function or help the markets function properly so people could buy and sell bonds. That worked out very well. 
they're in a new era that they have not faced since the early 1980s. That's high inflation. It's never been a problem for them uh, since uh, you know almost 40 years. So when we look at that, they have to go through things a little bit differently. And if they're too aggressive, they are going to hike us into a recession. If they're not aggressive enough, you know, maybe, you know, inflation gets worse than what it is. I don't think that's going to happen. I think inflation, there's a lot of factors behind the scenes where we should see inflation improve, especially in the second half of the year. I think it'll probably get a little bit worse before it gets better earlier part of the year. But there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes uh, factors that should reduce inflation. But the other thing that the Fed has been able to successfully do is calm market fears. Right now, the stock market, as evidenced by all this volatility we've seen uh, over the past week, it's nervous. And the Fed does not have the luxury like they have in the past few years of being able to say, hey, calm down. We're not going to do anything with interest rates. Everything's fine. They can't do that now because no. inflation's high. So they're in a tough spot. And we have to watch how the Fed is going to respond to this. So if I'm giving them a grade right now, I mean, I'm, I'll probably have a better answer after Wednesday, see how, uh, what Chair Powell says uh, on his press conference, but C+. Plus. Oh, that's that's not a, that's I'm not glad an that a. Andy was never one wow. of my teachers. <laughs> well, let, let, let me ask you this, Andy. I, I mean, they've been talking about everything they're going to do for the last four months while we be while we've been getting these inflationary numbers. Did they wait too long to do anything? No, I don't think they did wait too long. I think some of their verbal rhetoric has been not as strong as it could have been in certain situations to kind of talk down uh, inflation a little bit. Uh, but they're also not working as well as they had been when it comes to the transparency in terms of, well, not transparency, but in terms of, I'll say, talking the market up or supporting the market. So it's going to be interesting. My C plus that I just gave them, I think that could range anywhere from an A minus to a D uh, we'll see after Thursday or after Wednesday. That's quite a range. Yes. So, yeah. All right. Well, glad you definitely glad you are my. So, so what is the, what then do you say to investors, right? Who are scared? I mean, and, and I know Andy, some people who, and you mentioned what was it February and March of, of 2020 who got out of the markets then, right? Sold at a loss and are still afraid to get back in. Uh, and now we're kind of heading in, in this. Ter- like, what do you say to people who should they maybe- buy the dip? Yeah. Well, buying the dip is one thing. But I also I also think there's people who are a tendency to make decisions based on their fear. Yeah. And I want to talk to those people first. Trying to either, I mean, I, well, I think we talked to both people at the same time because we're talking about market timing. Yeah, you know, we're we're not big fans of market timing because what happens is you end up making your investment decisions based on emotion, uh, and that's going to be fear or greed. Uh, in this case, we're you know looking at fear if you're selling because of the volatility, you know, and then there's the greed scenario where things are looking really good and you you know you don't want to miss out, right? And history shows, you know, patient investors, ones who don't market time, usually end up uh, really helping themselves a lot more than those who try to market time because they end up hurting themselves. Market timing is, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's 
almost impossible to do successfully on a regular basis. I mean, statistics show that when people market time, they end up underperforming what they would have done in the absence of market timing. So March 2020 was a great buying opportunity in hindsight. You never know when the bottom is going to be in. Sure. That's the thing. And the other thing that I always like to remind people is news is always best at market tops and worse at market bottoms. So you want to try to not focus on that as much. But if, even if you know in hindsight, you know, the, the news situation, you know, you're playing a very dangerous game if you try to either buy the dips or sell the uh, sell the dips or sell the tops because you never know when the market's going to turn around. Here's a Simply Money point. We haven't seen this kind of volatility in a long time, but it is actually a very normal course in the market cycle. So make sure that you're not making any decisions on your 401k or your investments based on fear or greed. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Evie Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. All right, you might be soon required to take a selfie, send it to the IRS in order to gain access to the IRS's website. This is, I'm picturing my dad who's like 74 years old. I think he's 70, he's maybe 73 and he'll yell at me, but like taking a selfie of himself to actually access the IRS's website, and this is word coming out, not directly from the IRS, but from some sources that are saying the IRS is looking really strongly at, at doing this in order to, right, keep you safe. This is another kind of like a two-factor authentication situation. What can go wrong? Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> selfies. I, I'll take a selfie, but it might not be in my face if I send it to the IRS. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, I, I get there's been a lot of ID theft, Amy, you, yeah. you know, and I think that's where this is really coming from. But is this going to solve any problems? I mean, the, the IRS right now, they're about two years behind uh, yeah. on, on going over returns. Uh, last number I saw was 63 million returns from 2020 haven't even been looked at. Yeah. I don't know how many returns there are, but I don't think it's that many more than 63 million. Yeah. And now they're going to add a new requirement that's going to cause um, people to go through another process to access their own information. I, I mean, I, I get the thinking behind it. I just have a real hard time believing this is going to solve any issues, yeah, at least so up front. Our understanding is this is coming this summer, and right, just the username and the password that has worked up until now will no longer work. Uh, you'll need additional documentation, and then they'll check that documentation against the selfie that you provide. I think, Steve, my only request is... <laughs> Whatever selfie that you're going to send to the IRS, please don't, don't accidentally send it to me. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't want to see it. All right. So bye-bye bricks and mortar. Um, how do you bank? See if this is interesting. 85% of Americans say, hey, I would prefer to bank via a web browser or a mobile app. This is so yeah. different from the days of Hubert and Evelyn Wagner. Like I can't imagine my grandparents ever feeling comfortable with this, but a lot of people are starting to be comfortable with this. And there's some some pros and cons. Well, if 85% prefer going online, the other 15% are 60 and over. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I, I, I'm i not even sure how comfortable I am with it. And I, I do everything online. But, you know, here's here's the issue. The interest rates, Amy, you and I both know, they, they've been so low for so long that people are scrambling Abysmal. out there. 
There's yeah. nothing. I mean, one-tenth of one percent. Anything better than that, two-tenths of one percent is a doubling. Right. You know, and, and I think that's what people are looking for. And I, I, I see people all day long that I've got, you know, this much money in checking. No, you mean savings. No, it's in checking. That's way too much. How about a money market? And I'll explain a money market uh, and, and why the interest rates are, are a little bit higher. And they'll go to their bank and say, hey, put me in a money market. What does it pay? And they'll come back to me and say, Steve, that only paid me one-tenth of one percent. So so yeah. that's why I think so many people are out there looking because while money markets are paying a tenth of a percent online money markets through companies like American Express and Goldman Sachs and, you know, FDIC-insured banks – um, they're paying, you know, in some cases, four-tenths, five-tenths of a percent. Still not much, but it's a heck of a lot better than one-tenth of one percent. So people are looking. Yeah, I mean, and think about it this way, right? They don't have the overhead that traditional banks have. They don't have the bricks and mortar to keep up. And so that's kind of where you gain with these online banks is you're likely going to get higher interest rates. Now, how much higher, right, remains to be seen. I mean, it's not you're gonna not going to get three percent somewhere right now that doesn't exist um but you will get likely more than you would if you're with your traditional bank also the like the accessibility and i have to tell you steve with over just maybe the past couple of years handy the mobile deposits where you just take a picture on your phone i can remember having like checks sitting on my counter for days weeks right like oh i need to deposit this well i forgot to take it it's so easy to take a picture on your phone and send it to the bank and a couple days later it's in your account well and i I saw this generational gap with my own son when i I, he paid for something for me and i so i owed him some money and he's like well just venmo it to me dad (laughs) i'm I'm like uh okay i haven't done that before and and here's idiot me you've got to go ahead and text yourself uh, your own phone number, um, you know, dual authentication, whatever it's oh. called. I texted <laughs> to the wrong phone number. <laughs> so that that's how inept I am. So don't ask me any tech <laughs> questions. But, yeah, I, I mean, you know, for the generation that's comfortable with that, these are handy things. Yeah. But let's talk about, like, for those who are like, hey, no, I'm, I'm still going to go to the bricks and mortar. Or if yep. you're considering, right, you're considering I've always been bricks and mortar, but I'm thinking about going online the cons here, no physical branches, right? I mean, it right. is nice sometimes to be able to walk into a lobby and ask a human being Give me in my money. front of you <laughs> exactly. a question. There is, yeah. It's very old school, yeah. but I, I see the benefit of that. Yeah, and, and that's why they can pay you more. They don't have those costs. So they can actually go ahead and pay you more um, than, than a bricks-and-mortar bank in most cases. But I don't know. To me, the relationship is still important. I like to be able to go in, not just, you know, not just to get my money, but, you know, what if you need a loan? At some point, they know you. Yeah. You know, they know that you're good for it. Credit score means something, but there's more to life than just credit scores. You know what I think it's almost like when everyone talked about, like, cutting the cord on cable? Right. Like it was like, oh, we cut the cord and cable, but I've got all of these streaming platforms that I'm using. I don't think that online banking is the one size fits all solution. I think it's part of a number of financial solutions that you can maybe have that makes life a little more convenient. Um, But at the same time, it's not like the bank that, hey, you walk this you walk straight in. There's your mortgage. You walk to the right. You take out money. You walk to the left. Here's here's the loan that you can get the personal loan. Those days might be gone. uh, And I think there's a lot of convenience factors about online banking. At the same time, it may not be kind of the one size fits all solution for everything. Here's a Simply Money point. Times are changing. So is your bank. So if you haven't looked at online banking yet, well, it may be time. Oh, it's kind of like speed dating, right? If you're jumping into the real estate frenzy this year, we want to make sure you find the right realtor for you. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are the 
Talk Station. You're listening to Simply Money Tonight. I'm Amy Wagner with Steve Strovac. One interesting thing that happened during the pandemic is the real estate market went on this crazy, almost unprecedented tear. Uh, And so for those who are looking to kind of jump in on this, take advantage of it, whether you're a buyer or a seller, how do you figure out who the right real estate agent is for you, right? That's a critical thing that you have to figure out. Joining us tonight is our expert in real estate, Michelle Sloan. She is broker and owner um, of Remax Time, longtime friend of our show. Um, Michelle, when you start to kind of d- jump into this water, you don't want to jump mm-hmm. in alone, especially right now. Talk you about really the don't. considerations we need to Absolutely. think about. Absolutely. So choosing your real estate agent is a little bit like dating. Okay. Ah, okay. I get it. <laughs> So let's think about that. We're building a relationship and a rapport with someone who that you really need to be able to trust. I mean, trust with the most important sale or purchase of your entire life. So don't go into that and just pick anybody. You want to go ahead, especially let's say if you are a buyer, a first time buyer, and you may get a referral from someone that you know, maybe a parent or a friend who recently went through this, and that's okay. But the one thing a lot of buyers don't understand is you do want to pick one agent and stick with them. So you want to pick someone who is available, and available is the biggest thing right now because when there's no homes on the market to look at, when a home comes on the market in your price range that you are interested in, guess what? You got to jump. You need to be available that day to go look at it. And your agent needs to come with you most often. So, you know, that's, that's the one really big consideration for buyers and buyers, but to choose a buyer's agent who is available, huge, important. You know, and and the interesting thing is, Michelle, I think a lot of times you think of this as like um, a one and done situation, right? But uh, what I've learned is the realtor that I have been working with through the years, it's an ongoing relationship. And even to the point where I had a question a few months ago about um, who I should use for something for my house. I called my real estate agent and she said, oh, Mm -hmm. we actually have a listing online of of different places that we would highly recommend uh, you to use. And it was like, oh, already curated for me. So... When, like it's it's interesting to think about it that way, but it's more of a long-term relationship. So you really want to find someone who's a good fit, who's sticking around for a while. Absolutely. And I do have people call me. It's like, okay, I need, I'm thinking about doing an update in my kitchen. Do you have anyone that you yeah. might suggest who can do that? I'm going to paint my cabinets. First of all, the big question is, what should I do? Should I paint my cabinets? And the second question is, do you know anyone who can paint the cabinets and do it well? And so that is exactly right. And those ongoing relationships, and a lot of my clients have become friends yeah. and we'll go out and we'll maybe we'll have a, have a little a little glass of wine or something like that. Yeah. And we'll just talk about their life. And it is so gratifying as a real estate agent. And I've been able to see children grow up from like itty bitty Mm. babies, literally to teenagers. And you can tell how long I've been in the business now. And we're seeing, and again, it is that repeat business. So if you are choosing an agent wisely from the beginning, they could go with you throughout your whole life and your real estate as you grow and, and as you 
change locations. And, and even if you're looking outside of the Cincinnati area, guess what? Your real estate agent most likely can actually refer someone outside of the city that might be a good fit because we know you and we get to know you. We get to know an awful lot about you. Yeah. Um, so it's really, that is, it really is a, it's a connection and I won't say it's a love connection, but <laughs> it is a professional, it's a-, a professional love connection. <laughs> Absolutely. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRZ as we talk to our real estate expert, Michelle Sloan. She is broker and owner of Remax Time with some great advice on if this is the year when you are either going to buy or sell your home, uh, how you pick the right realtor for you. And Michelle, there's differences, right? If you're going to buy or you're going to sell, are there different things you need to be looking for? To a certain extent, absolutely. Listing agents tend to do more listings, meaning that, you know, a lot of us have a balance. Like, for example, now in my career, after being doing this for almost 20 years, I am more of a listing agent. I don't do as many, you know, I don't do as many buyers. I don't handle as many buyers in my portfolio right now. Unless you are selling your home and you need to buy, those are the clients that I'm going to dedicate my Mm. time and energy to. So a lot of times when you are just starting out and you are picking a buyer's agent, because obviously you want to, you're going to buy first before you can sell. And, you know, I certainly work with buyers, first time home buyers and everything, but you may want to ask, okay, so how many clients are you working with at this time? And depending on where your mindset is, if you're a buyer, you obviously want to pick a buyer's agent who is going to represent you and be available to you. Same thing when you are a seller. When you're a seller, you want someone who knows the ins and outs of the market today and what we're looking for. Because today the market is absolutely out of this world You may think that it's easy to sell your home, but I'll be honest with you, I think it's even harder to sell your home today, even when you have multiple offers in a short period of time. That's a lot of data to go through and to make the right decision. So you need someone who is analytical to a certain aspect as far as when you're selling your home. You want an agent who is able to help guide you through that process. And it's different today than it was 10 years ago. How many agents do you think, Michelle, if someone's starting to look, you know, I'm one of those people who I just want to mark something off my list, right? So I call one person, you sound fine, you're good. Um, But this is maybe (laughs) not that kind of situation. I, I mean, you don't need to talk to 10 people. What would you recommend? No, I mean, two or three at the most. If you're selling your home, you know, oftentimes you're going to get, again, a lot of the information that I may bring to the table. And often I am one of two or maybe three agents who are basically vying for your love and attention. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to bring in um, the comps and hopefully I have similar comps to the other people that are going to be coming and seeing you. We're going to be giving you advice about how to get your home ready for market. Again, do you like the way I'm presenting myself? Do you like the way I'm helping you through the process? Am I offering you the advice and then ways to solve those issues? Like if you do need your whole house painted, do I have options for you? Do I know someone who can? Do I do I know a color even that you should paint? Yeah. Or, you know, those kinds of that helpful free information. And honestly, that first step, that first meeting with me as your real estate agent and with most should take about an hour. Mm-hmm. If I'm in and out in 10 minutes, I know that it's I, I, I didn't get that job. 
I yeah. usually am in there longer than that. But at the same time, you kind of get that feeling like, it, are, and I have to choose too. Do I want to actually work with you? And so that's another question. So you're going to be on, uh, you know, you're, you're both dating, right? You're both too. deciding yeah. whether we, you're we a fit or not. dating. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Michelle. Are there any things that you would say, this should be a red flag. If you're looking for a realtor and this happens or this is said or whatever it is, this should be maybe a red flag that this isn't the right fit for you? Well, everybody's different, right? So everybody is looking for something different. I would just say that the red flag for me is if, you know, you feel like you know everything and you see, so I'm turning that around actually. If you are the client and you're selling your home and you know everything and you just need me to follow you blindly down mm. that path, yep. you know, you're going to have this. We're, we're probably not going to work well together because it is it has to be a relationship and that we work together Yeah, because you may have some awesome ideas, but I'm going to want you to listen to my ideas, too, because this is what I do for a living. This is what I do every single day. Right. So it is a little bit of a give and take. So if your real estate agent is not and, and again, if they're not open and pathetic to your situation and listening to what you have to say that's a red flag right there. If I am not, if I'm just talking and talking and talking, which I can do, <laughs> but if I'm just talking and talking and I'm not listening to you and your needs, that's a red flag. And I would say, choose someone who is going to be open to what you have to say. It has to be a two-way street, always. And Michelle, for, for someone who's looking to buy or sell, what are first steps is, is figuring out like what, how to figure out where to go to get that realtor? Well, the first thing is you want an agent who is familiar with the area that you were either going to be buying or selling. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, I will be open and tell people, you know what, I don't do a lot of sales on the west side of Cincinnati. It's not where I'm from. It's not where I'm well versed. Mm -hmm. And so you want to choose an agent. Honestly, certainly someone that you're going to get along with is number one. Number two is you want someone who's familiar with the area. So I can take a buyer to an area that I'm not as familiar with and I can do all of the comps and I can help you. But at the same time, am I serving you the best in the best way possible? And honestly, if I'm not comfortable in a particular area, I'm going to refer you to someone who is more comfortable. So, you know, if you, depending on where you live, if you live in Westchester, if you live in Anderson Township, you know, you, you want to move downtown again, you know, I'm not as versed in the downtown, downtown scene. I go yeah. down there. I like to play down there, yeah. but as far as, you know, looking for parking and all that stuff. It's like, that's not in my realm. So there yeah. may be somebody better for you. You can't, it's not a one size fits all. And I think that's the same way with real estate agents. You know, I cannot help every single person that comes knocking on my door or giving me a call. And you also want to not work with just anybody who has a pulse that says, I can help you. I can help you. I'm desperate. I need a, I need somebody. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to pick your real estate agent that way. You were just saying, Michelle Sloan, our real estate expert, right? You, you, it's a dating situation. When you're looking for the right realtor, you want to sit down. You want to ask the right questions. You want to have a conversation. You want to make sure that you're both a match for each other. I think that's a great way to look at it. So if you're looking at maybe jumping into the real estate market on either side this year, make sure you go on a few dates with real estate agents. Make sure you find the right fit <laughs> exactly. for you. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, it sounds pretty amazing, right? Retiring early. Sign me up for that. 
just things that you need to think through. And while 50s might, you know, maybe it's pie in the sky, maybe you can actually pull it off. We just want to make sure if this is something that you're thinking about, that you're thinking through every potential aspect that might be able like that might hold you back. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for some reason, Amy, there's a perception that a lot of people retire in their 50s or early 60s. It's pretty rare. I, I, I mean, as yeah. a, a financial planner, I figure I see the cream of the crop and and it's rare out of the people I see yeah. for anybody to retire before 60. Certainly. It's like you talk a good game, right? Like how yeah. many people do you know who say when they retire, they're going to move some, yeah. you know, some beach somewhere, some other destination. And then once they really look into it, most of the time they stick around here, right? So there's a lot of people talking about retiring in your 50s. But the reason maybe why a lot of people don't there's actually end up, right, pulling the trigger on it is, first of all, it's years likely until you'll have access to Social Security. Yeah. I mean, Social Security is supposed to cover, what, 40% of what you were making before, Uh around there. And, and that's a huge number for a lot of people. That's a huge part of their plan. Yeah. And, and maybe your kids are growing and out of college. So you've gotten away with uh, from those expenses. But, you know, they're, if you're retiring at 55, that's seven years until you're 62. And is 62 really the best strategy? That's, that's the youngest right. age you can draw Social Security. Well, maybe, maybe not. But if your spouse is non-working, well, then they're going to draw half of whatever your benefit is when you pull the string and, and start drawing Social Security. So if you draw a reduced benefit at, at 62 for Social Security, your non-working spouse is going to also draw a lower benefit, and that that makes a huge difference. Well, what if they're a non-working spouse that's 10 years younger, right? Ooh, then yeah. then they have then years of living, yeah. right, on that, that, that lower benefit. So that's one thing to think about. Also, access to retirement accounts. I mean, your 401Ks, right, your IRAs, yeah. it's 59 and a half. In most cases, right, to access those accounts. Well, you always have access. It's just how much in tax do you want to pay. Yes. That's the key. You're never going to get away from paying tax. That, that's that's the common mis, misconception is, is, well, wait a second. After 59 and a half, I don't pay tax? No. You don't pay the additional 10% tax penalty. It's a penalty. That's, that's the killer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, Medicare. I think if, if there was one hurdle, right, that kept most people from retiring, I would say this is the one. Access to health care. That's the number one question. You do not realize how much your boss, your oh employer, goodness. is paying for your uh, health insurance yeah. until you start looking at footing the bill yourself. Yeah, I'll just go on COBRA. That's nice and that's a nice, easy <laughs> solution. And I keep the same health insurance I had when I was working. Yeah, wait till you find out they've been paying 95% and you've only been paying 5%. And now you're paying the whole Sure. 100%. Well, and COBRA only yeah. lasts for what? 18 months. 18 months at the yeah. most. So that's a, a temporary solution if you're close to... 65, yeah. that works. But certainly if you're thinking 50s, that's not going to work. The The ideal solution is if there's one of the spouses still continues to work and has health insurance through their employer that the, the early retiree can glom onto. I, I mean, that that's where it really works out well. But, you know, one person retiring because the other one still works. I'm not sure how that would work out. If I went home and said, hey, Ann, I'm retiring, but it means you're going to have to go to work. I was going to say, what is that? Is that like a rock, paper, scissors? Like <laughs> whoever loses oh, has man. to stay working. The other one's heading yeah. to the golf course and, that day. And if you're buying private insurance, um, get ready for a rude surprise because it yeah. may be 1200 to $1,500 a month. So let's put that in perspective. You retire at 55. You've got lots of money saved up. You think you can live off your assets. You can get through that seven-year period until Social Security how about fifteen hundred a month health insurance for ten years? In my rough math, that's one hundred and eighty grand going out the door that yeah. you probably didn't figure on. That's a lot of money. Yeah, right. 
something definitely you need to consider before looking at making that jump in your 50s. And also, you're going to be in retirement a long time, right? I mean, if you're 55 years old, right, when you want to retire, first of all, that's 10 years before Medicare. That's, you know, seven years, eight years before you can get uh, Social Security, seven years. Uh, That's a long time before you can get any of these perks that kind of make it easier to afford to retire. So you're paying that money on your own. Okay, that's a lot of money out the window. All of a sudden, you're thinking, I don't know, like my grandparents, my parents, they live to their 70s. Well, the thing is, is we're living longer these days, and you have to factor that into the equation. Yeah. yeah. The last thing you want to do is run out of money or 10, 15, 20 years after you've retired, have to start practicing saying, welcome to Walmart. Right. Not a good situation. Eating ramen noodles in your 80s. Like, no thanks, but no thanks. Here's a simply money point. Retiring in your 50s. It's a move that could very well work out for you. But before you take that leap, you've got to consider the pitfalls you might come across. Coming up, how to declutter your digital life. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, I hate clutter. Uh, Steven, I don't know about... Are you like a clutter person? Oh, I am Mr. Neat Freak. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... While I like to declutter my house, I pick up my phone and I can never find an email or I want to post a picture of my kid on their birthday and I can't find a picture where they're like smiling at the camera because there's 85,000 pictures. All right, I am a neat freak other than digitally. And that's the thing. I mean, I think for most of us, we're like, oh, like who cares? But but here's a stat. and I, I think it's probably true. Most of us spend about 45 minutes a day searching through digital information to find what we're looking for. Whether it's a website we saw something from, a picture, an email, a report that we need. And so I think there's a way to kind of get this to under control um, and, and get your digital life. Well, in- I, I, since I'm the local tech expert, I, I, I think I should handle this. Please thing. do. Please do. Um, and and I'm, I'm the person that, yeah, I'll go through my emails and, and, you know, get rid of the trash right away. Here's where I have an issue is with pictures. I I have pictures from years and years and years ago, and what I decided to do is I'm going to download them and make a DVD because that's the kind of person I am. Look at you. Yeah, exactly. Something hard that I can touch. There you you go. Well, it still works. Um, Here's how you can figure out where your your stuff is being kept. Um, Look at your general settings and figure out where the biggest space hogs are, right? You can go to that in your iPhone or your Android, and it'll give you a list of recommendations there for what's taking the most space up, where you can kind of free things up. Some cases I've looked there and there's apps that I haven't used. Like my son put a, a yeah. game on my phone years ago, right? I don't even use it anymore. Du- uh, delete duplicate photos and then just organize things in a way that makes sense to you, whether it's your photo albums, whether it's your apps. If you don't use them anymore, get rid of them and unsubscribe from emails and things like that that you don't need. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.